see everyone. I'm going to read us some scriptures as we start off today. Um, and these are as we start our first song today, and it talks about the freedom that we have in the Lord and the spirit that he gives us. Acts 2.17 says that God will pour out his spirit on us. And, uh, and then 2 Corinthians 3, um, verse 17 says, Now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So I want to invite you to stand this morning as we think about that and sing about that today, because there is freedom wherever the Spirit of the Lord is. Jesus' name, life's made whole, 
ahead and have a seat. There is grace here today. There's freedom in the house of the Lord. And so we are celebrating that together this morning. So uh, thank you so much for being here with us today at Peckway Church. And uh, if you were here with us last week, welcome back. It's so great to see you and uh, worship with you once again as, uh, as we're gathered here together today. I want to bring your attention to the, the uh, gray card inside of your bulletin here this morning. Go ahead and take that out as I am speaking with you online. There's going to be a connect link there that you'll find in a chat window. Uh, and you can simply click over to that if you're on full screen. But uh, fill that out as I'm speaking. This is a great resource for us to be able to connect with one another. If you have any prayer requests, um, anything that you, any comments, uh, questions that you have about Peckway Church, but simply a way that we can communicate and keep in touch with one another and provide resources. Also, if you are a first-time guest, you can take out your cell phone and you can text the word hello to 717-872-5679. And again, simply quick and easy way to get to that form and fill it out as well. Um, inside of your bulletin, you'll also see some information. Of course, we have Mother's Day coming up. going to be a great time of celebrating moms together on that day. But the week following that is going to be a special guest artist with us from Nashville. Um, he is a, a new artist um, coming out of addiction and um, drugs and addiction to alcohol. And he's going to be sharing his testimony and song with us. And so since he's so brand new, I wanted to give you a taste of, uh, of who he is, let you hear him this morning. So we have a 30-second clip that I want to use to introduce him today. But take this card, invite someone you know who might be struggling with addiction, as we'll hear uh, his story that morning. We're going to have a great message as well to, to minister to people and touch hearts and lives. So let's watch. That is Ben Fuller, and that is his new single that he just released, and he'll have several more songs that I think he's sharing with us that day, but again, sharing his testimony, and as we go through the next couple of weeks, I'm going to share a testimony that he has as well, that he's going to share his story with us to, to help us know more about him, and I think it goes perfectly with what we're, we've been studying together in this series, and today we're continuing that as we talk about the steps to a fresh start. What does it take? Sometimes it's so difficult. We kind of get in our way, our own way sometimes, right? Maybe our shame holds us back. Our past holds us back. And so today we're going to see how we can take those next steps to be able to break through through the power of God's spirit and to have that fresh start that maybe we've all been, well, I think we all long for a fresh start, right? In any endeavor, anything that we do. So stay tuned as we do that. But I'm going to invite you to stand once again as we sing a song that reminds us to leave our shame at the door this morning. So let's continue worship. <laughs> That's what my father does 
you fear you won't define me Cause that's what my father does Father's house, and his grace is sufficient, is what his word says. It can cover any sin, any shame, any failure in our hearts and lives. And because of that, and many more reasons, he is worthy. Let's worship him. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. He's worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. 
as we pray together. Jesus, we thank you for the firm foundation of your love. God, that we can trust you because your promises have forever and will forever be trustworthy. God, we thank you that you are the God who gives us new mercies every morning, fresh start, brand new chances to begin again. And so, Father, today, as we've worshiped you, as we've declared, Father, together, Scripture, as we've sang that together, Lord, about the freedom that we have when your spirit is in the room and we know that you're here. You tell us that you never leave us, you never forsake us, and that your presence is always with us. And so I'm grateful for that today. And Jesus, I pray that we would trust you like we've sang today, God, that we would build our lives on the firm foundation of your love and your love letter, which is your word to us, God. Would you open our hearts, our minds, and our ears today as we hear your word, God, as you speak to our hearts, how we can have this fresh start, and we pray and ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Scott, thank you, worship team, and I want to just as we settle in, as we get ready to move into this morning's message, I just want to call really your attention back to the words of that chorus. I just let me read them to you here. Open my eyes in wonder and show me who you are. And then I love this response to that. Then he says, the writer says, and fill me with your heart. And the purpose of filling with his heart is so that he then will lead us in love to those around us. And folks, I really do not know really a better way to encapsulate and summarize the purpose of the church than really that. In fact, if I were to give you or summarize the purpose of the church in two words, here's what the words would be. Changed lives. Folks, the purpose of the church is not worship services. The purpose of the church is not Bible studies. The purpose of the church is not erecting buildings or running programs. Those are things that the church does, and they're essential things. But the purpose of the church, the reason that Jesus said he came and died and rose again, is so that we can experience changed lives. And folks, no one, no one on this earth can do that like Jesus. And that's why we're looking in the series, what he does, what, how he empowers us, how he enables us, how he inspires us to change the things in our lives that not only we want to change, but when we're honest with ourselves, we know we need to change. That's what this series is about, and that's why, honestly, I have been looking forward to sharing this series with you, really looking at the content of this series for the last few weeks, because I really believe that what we're looking at in this series, how God can change our lives, how he can give us a fresh start, folks can change the world. Now, I know some of you think that's very, very bold, but I'll say it again. I really do believe this is the answer to changing our world. It's not a political system. It's not a political party. It, it, it's not passing some legislation, folks. The hope of the world is Jesus Christ when he changes lives. That's how we're going to become you know, lovers of others. That's how we're going to deal with the divisions that we have, whether it's race or gender or politics. We're going to deal with it when God changes our heart and moves us out in compassion to others. But listen, for that to happen, God must take us through a process, a change process. And when we understand what that process is, you and I are in a better position to cooperate with it. Does that make sense? When you and I understand the steps, we understand what we can do to better cooperate with the process. So here's what I want to do today. 
Scott's already alluded to it, folks. I'm going to take the time this morning, the time that I've been given, to walk us through the steps that God takes you and he takes me through when he wants to give us a fresh start. So let's just jump right into it. The first thing, the first step that God takes us through when he wants to give us a fresh start is, now brace yourself, a crisis. Now probably I ought to say let's just have a collective moan together because the reality is some of you are thinking as I said that going, thank you, Mr. Encouragement. I understand, folks, none of us are excited by the idea that God uses a crisis to change us, but many, many times, God does use crises in your life and my life to move us in the right direction. You say, why is that? I'll tell you why that is, and you understand as soon as I say it, because most of us, we do not change when we see the light, but when we feel the heat, right? I mean, all of us understand that we ought to be in shape. All of us understand we ought to eat right. But usually that doesn't sink in and we don't take action. The doctor's looking at us in the face and say, either lose 30 pounds or you're going to die. Stop smoking or you'll be dead by Christmas. Then's when we feel the heat, then we decide to change. And so the very first step that God engages in many, many times is God uses a crisis. Many times self-caused crises to move us in the right direction. So let me just say this to you folks. I really believe that the biggest battle in your life and mine are not physical battles. They're not relational battles. They're not even financial battles. The biggest battle in your life and mine is a spiritual battle. And that's because left to ourselves, without God's redeeming work in our life, his power and his presence in our life, our desire is to run our own lives. Our desire is to be in control of our own life. And so the crisis that God uses more often than not to move you and to move me in the direction of a fresh start is our battle with him, our struggle with him. And what I want to do this morning is I just want to walk through what I think is a very clear example of that. And the example is found in Genesis chapter 32 in a scene of a life of a man that many of us know as Jacob. But let me just begin reading for you this morning. Here's how the scene begins. And I'm just going to read just not even a full sentence of the scene. But here's how it begins. Then Jacob was left all alone in the camp. Now let me stop there because you need the backstory to what's going on here, to that statement. What is taking place is Jacob is preparing to meet his brother, his older brother Esau, who if you know the story, Jacob cheated out of the family inheritance, his proper portion of all the stuff. And as a result of that, they had, as you can imagine, very bad blood, tremendous tension. And, and so as Jacob is preparing because God told him to go back home. As his preparing to return home, he's terrified, and so he comes up with a plan. And what he does is he takes and divides his family, his possessions in half. And, and he, sends, he sends his servants and his herds ahead of him. Then he sends his wives and his children ahead of him. And then he finally, he says, in the middle of the night, he took his wives, his children, his possessions, went across the river, and then he was left alone in the camp. And so that's the scene. Here's what we need to do. Now let's pick it up. It says, and a man came and wrestled with him until dawn. When the man saw that he couldn't win the match, he struck Jacob's hip and knocked it out of socket, or knocked it out of joint at the socket. And what's interesting is if you know the scriptures, even if you not don't know the scriptures, we are told who that man is. Because in Hosea chapter 12, here's what we read. It says, before Jacob was born, he struggled with his brother. When he became a man, he even fought with God. And so that man that came and wrestled with him was God himself. 
Now, you might be wondering, let's go back to that phrase that he struggled with his brother uh, before he was born. You might be wondering, how in the world do you do that? Well, let me explain it to you. Jacob and Esau were twins, but Jacob was the younger. And, and we're told in the scriptures, we're told in the book of Genesis, it's recorded that as Esau was trying to come out of the womb, Jacob grabbed hold of his heel. He kind of, you know, he wanted to get out first. And, and so the scripture tells us that his entire life, Jacob struggled with his brother Esau. But with that said, understand that the greatest and the longest struggle that Jacob had in his life, and it's the same one that you and I have in our life, is his struggle with God. So here's what I want you to do right now. I want you to think of the biggest struggle you have in your life right here, right now. Whatever it is, think about it for a second. I want you to think about it, and I want you to realize this. No matter what it is, whether it's financial, physical, emotional, relational, it doesn't matter, folks. I want to tell you, it, that struggle really boils down to two things. The first is, are you willing to obey God and do what he says to do, even if it doesn't make sense? Even if you don't like it? And here's the second thing that you need to know about that struggle, folks. The second thing is you need to determine, will I trust God with it? Will I trust God with this issue, with this problem, th this challenge, this struggle in my life? In other words, the biggest problem you have today isn't your problem. The biggest problem that you have, the biggest problem I have in my life is deciding whether or not I will obey and trust God in the problem. Because we need to understand, I'll say it over and over again this morning, folks, but left to ourselves, our fallen, unredeemed selves, our bias is not to respond that way. It's not to trust God. It's not to obey God. That's not the way we're wired naturally. So at the very root of any problem you have in your life, any problem I have in my life, we need to understand there's a struggle with God going on. Which is why at times, not always, but at times, God allows problems, allows crises into our lives so that we have to decide who's in control. We have to decide who's going to call the shots, whether it's God or me. And for Jacob, what we're going to see is his struggle took the form of all things, a wrestling match, a wrestling match with God. Now, again, some of you know, some of you don't know, and Pennsylvania is a little bit behind it, but I grew up in Iowa. Iowa is the mecca of collegiate wrestling. You need to understand that. I grew up just about 15 miles from the University of Iowa, if you know wrestling, during the days of Dan Gable. This was when Iowa was an absolute powerhouse. And here's what I learned. I wrestled, but let me tell you, here's the point of wrestling. It's real simple. Not, not you know, fake wrestling. I'm talking about real wrestling, okay? The point of wrestling is to gain control of your opponent. That's the point. To, to, you know, to put him or her to the mat and take complete control. So here's the thing. Here's what we need to understand. What's at stake when you and I are wrestling with God is the issue who's going to be in control. Who's going to call the shots in our lives? Is it going to be me or is it going to be God? And, and for that reason, I would suggest to you that a wrestling match is a perfect, absolute perfect way to settle the issue. Because the reality is, folks, when you and I are pinned, when we're flat on the mat, there's only one place for us to look, and that's straight up. And so I think, again, that God in his wisdom put this crisis, this decision point in Jacob's life and staged it as a wrestling match. Now, having said that, let me say this. If you were here last week, you heard me say that God absolutely loves us just the way we are. 
He does. That's absolutely true. You need to own that. But you need to temper that with understanding this as well. God loves us just the way we are. But he loves you and he loves me too much to leave us that way. Does that make sense? In other words, folks, that God truly does not simply love us, but he's going, I see the potential I place in you. I see the potential that you have in your life, the gifts, the abilities, the talents that I've given you, and I want you to live into that. I want you to fulfill that, and so God loves us too much to leave us where he finds us. And that's why, at times, he lets crises come into your life and mine. Because here, again, I'll say it again, folks, you and I seldom change until the pain of changing becomes greater than the fear of changing. Does that make sense? In other words, folks, we have to come to that place until you and I understand that the fear of our changing is dominated and is less than our fear of actually staying the same. We don't change. And so the very first step that you and I need to go through when God wants to give us a fresh start is a crisis, which means if you are facing a crisis today, it just might be that God's preparing you for a fresh start. That's a different way to see it, isn't it? To go, hey, this crisis may be a prelude to a fresh start in my life. But let me give you the second step. The second step in a fresh start when God is working in our life is a commitment. And I'll tell you what the commitment is. The commitment is that you and I refuse to give up. We refuse to quit. In other words, to, to kind of lean into what Jacob does, we refuse to stop wrestling that something good comes from it. We keep on keeping on until something good comes from it. Take a look at what we read. And then the man said, let me go, for it is dawn. But Jacob panted, I won't let you go unless you bless me. Now here's another thing. Nowhere in that scripture, nowhere else in the Bible are we told whether or not Jacob knew he was wrestling God. But what is clear in that passage is Jacob knew that this man had the capacity, if you will, to bless him. Or if you will, better yet, to benefit him. And so he refused to let him go to stop wrestling him unless the man did it. But since the man was God and we know he was God, here's the question that I ask every time I read this passage. If the man was God, then why didn't God just overpower him and end the whole contest? Why did God continue to let the struggle go on? And let me give you what I believe is a reason for it. I believe it's because when God allows a crisis to come in your life and mine, he doesn't immediately resolve it because he wants our character to develop. He wants our faith to develop. For example, let me just kind of net this out for you. If God immediately would bail me out from a financial crisis that I created, by none of you have ever done this, so this is the reason it's about me, if God would bail me out from a financial crisis that I created because I bought things I didn't need with money I didn't have to impress people I didn't even like, then how in the world would I respond the next time I got in a financial crisis? I tell you how I'd respond, I'd reason, well, God got me out of it last time, so if I'm in a problem again, I'll just pray again. In other words, here's the point, I wouldn't learn anything. I wouldn't develop self-discipline. I wouldn't develop money management skills. I wouldn't develop financial wisdom. I would just say, you know what? I'll just spend till I'm happy and then just pray and ask God to get me out of the mess that I myself created. But folks, that's why God doesn't bail us out instantly of every self-created crisis, every self-inflicted crisis, because we would never learn the lessons that we need to learn to keep us from getting into the same mess again. Does that make sense? God is trying to develop our character. So let me give you a principle from all of this. Here's the principle. 
The principle is God's number one goal when he's dealing with us in self-inflicted crises is to build our character, not to enable our foolishness or our addictions. Now, that's not something pleasant to hear. It's not something pleasant to say, folks, but that's the truth. God's goal when he's dealing with a crisis that more often than not I created myself is he focuses on building my character, not simply releasing me from the consequences of my foolishness or perhaps even my addictions. And so here's the reason I'm saying that. If you're facing a crisis today, the lesson we learn here is don't give up, don't give in, and certainly don't run away. Instead, we need to stay with it. Because take a look at what Paul wrote. He said, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest, now notice this, if we do not give up. In other words, what Paul is making clear here, at least implicitly, folks, it is possible for you and I to miss God's very best in our lives if we give up too soon, if we simply quit. And yet the reality is, as obvious as that principle is, as much sense as it makes to us, we do it all the time, don't we? I mean, it's so easy, it's so tempting that we, we have a problem, we have a crisis, so we pray about it for a few days or for even a few weeks. But then nothing immediately happens. So what's our temptation? We give up, right? We give up. And so, folks, what Jacob's lesson is teaching us, what his wrestling match teaches us, is very clearly that God is monitoring our commitment. The God is observing our resolve. And so we need not give up. We, we need to hang in there. We need to keep on keeping on. But let me give you the third step, and that's a confession. A confession. In other words, we need to admit we're part of the problem. We need to admit that we have a part to play in this. And so we stop blaming others, and we simply own what part of it we have to play in the problem. Because until we do, folks, until you do, until I do, we take this third step, very little significant change will take place in our lives. But I want you to notice how this played out for Jacob, because I think it's very, very profound. And when you understand what's going on here historically and culturally, folks, I, I think it's going to impact you. Because notice how it played out. This third step in the process played out for Jacob. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Now, I, you know, you're probably going, okay, I got nothing here. So let me see if I can unpack it for you. Let me see if I can help you understand what's going on here. Now, the first question I think to unpack is to ask this. Why did God ask him his name? We all know the obvious answer, right? It, well, it wasn't because he didn't know his name. So something else was going on. And the something else that going on is God asked him, what is your name? Not because God needed to know it, but because Jacob needed to own it. He needed to admit who he was and who he had become. And let me explain that. Why the, the importance of this question, what is your name? In the ancient Near East, in the Jewish culture at that time, but in the ancient Near East as a whole, when a child was born, he or she was given a name that captured who he or she was. Okay? So in other words, whenever a child was born, a name was not chosen because it was cute, because it made some kind of top ten most popular names of babies, you know, in, in ABC 33. No, and it wasn't chosen because grandpa had that name or grandma had that name or great-great-grandpa had that name. It's just a name that the family has. No, 
That's not the reason the name was chosen for a child. The name was chosen in the ancient Near East for a child because either it revealed the child's character, its personality, or some physical attribute. So let's go back to Jacob's brother Esau. In the Hebrew, it's debated, but it either means red or hairy, or red hair. Well, guess what the scripture tells us about Esau? It, it, depending on your translation, if you read the King James, it said he had a ruddy appearance. What does that mean? He was red. Looked like he had a sunburn. Maybe he had red hair. That's what it says. And so what does the name Jacob mean? Are you ready for this? Here, here's what it means in Hebrew. Here's what it means in the ancient Near East. Manipulator, deceiver, and cheat. How would you like that for a name? And listen, Jacob lived up to the name. You see, not only did he try to, you know, if you will, hang on to his brother's heels, but then as he grew older, as you follow the story, if you know the story, then he cheated his brother out of his birthright, his inheritance. That's where the story began. His living in fear all these years later because he had cheated his brother. How did he cheat his brother? Well, he deceived his father on his deathbed. And he's only now coming back with all this wealth. See, where did he get all the wealth to send out in front of his brothers, somehow placate or salve his anger or resentment? Well, honestly, he manipulated his father-in-law on the farm. He cheated him too. And so by asking his name, what God is doing, this man wrestling with Jacob is doing, he's forcing Jacob to own who he was. To literally say out loud, I'm a deceiver. I'm a manipulator. I'm a cheat. Now, that's too good to waste, folks. So let me just ask this question. What about us? Have we owned our name? I mean, if we were named for our greatest character flaw, our greater, greatest character weakness, what would our name be? Liar? Deceiver? Angry? Bitter? Resentful, self-righteous, gossip. What, what would our name be? Folks, to get a fresh start, we have to admit our flaws, our failures, and our character defects. Now listen to this. We need to admit it to ourselves. We need to admit it to God. And here's where it really gets tough. But the scripture teaches that we need to admit it to at least one other trusted person. And you say, why? Well, that's a whole other sermon itself. But let me just give you one scripture we looked at in the last series. Here's what James writes. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now let's focus on those two words, grace and humble. Folks, God's gift of grace, his free grace, empowers us and enables us to change. It enables us to have a fresh start. And I would suggest to you there's absolutely nothing more humbling in this world than you and I to ourselves, to God, and someone else that we trust saying, I am blank. I'm a worrier. I'm a gossip. I'm a manipulator. I'm a hothead. I'm an addict. Folks, you fill in the blank. But I absolutely believe there is nothing more humbling in your life and mine than for us to say to ourselves, to God, and another trusted person who we really are. Which is why when God wants to bring a fresh start in your life and mine, he says it has to start by you and I stopping rationalizing justifying and blaming other people and simply own for ourselves the things that everyone else knows about us that we are unwilling to admit about ourselves 
We have to get honest with ourselves. We have to get honest with God, and we have to entrust a good friend, a trusted brother or sister, a mother or father, a trusted friend to really know us for who we are. Now, I know when I say that, I mean, I could feel it in the room, you could feel it in the room, folks. Doing that, and we really try to do that and intend to do that, and we should do that. Folks, that's tough, and that's scary. But having said that, let me share with you not only a little secret, but something that I think can change your whole perspective on that. Because when you and I say that to ourselves, to God, I'll tell you what God doesn't do. He isn't shocked. He doesn't say to himself, I didn't see that one coming. I had no idea that's what was really going on in your life or who you really are. No, God already knows everything about us. So instead of saying, I'm shocked, what God says instead is he said, you know what? I am so proud of you for being honest enough and humble enough to admit who you really are. But even with that affirmation of God, folks, I'm going to be honest with you. This third step, it's the toughest part of the process. It's the toughest part of the change process because you and I have to get to that place where we admit that we're done denying and hiding who we really are. And we just own our name. But we don't stop there. God doesn't stop there because after we do that, when we do that, we go from the worst part of the process to the best part of the process. Because the fourth step in the process, folks, is we receive a new identity. We, we experience a conversion. That's step number four, a conversion. And in that conversion, we receive, as I said, a new identity. And, and I want to just read you how this, again, played out in Jacob's life. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it was because I saw God, now notice this, face to face. Now three things happened when, if you will, God gave Jacob a new identity. When Jacob went through, if you will, this conversion experience, and I just want to walk you through them. The first thing that, that God did that happened was Jacob received a new name. Did you catch it? He, he said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Now, I've already told you what, what Jacob means, manipulator, deceiver, and cheat. Let me tell you what Israel means, prince with God. Now, there's a contrast. I mean, that, that literally is quite night and day. That's a far cry from the old name manipulator. And you go, why did God give him that name? Because God was telling him, I know you've been a manipulator. I know you've been a deceiver and a cheat. But beneath the deceit, beneath the manipulation, beneath the lies, all that stuff, Jacob, that you don't want to own, I see a prince. I see somebody of incredible significance. And folks, we need to stop there long enough to realize that God is the same yesterday, day, and forever. So the same thing he said to Jacob, he wants to say to us today. He wants to say to you, he wants to say to me, Beneath the failures and the flaws, beneath the habits and the hang-ups, beneath the selfishness and the sin, I see a prince. I see a princess. I see somebody who can be great, but not as you are, but as you can't be through me. If, if, you'll own who you became. Now, that's the first thing. The second thing that happened in that conversion in God giving Jacob this new identity is he received a blessing. 
He received a blessing. Take a look at it. We read, then he blessed him there. In other words, Jacob's commitment and resolve was rewarded. That hanging in there, not giving up, not quitting, paid off. Well, the final thing that happened is Jacob received a reminder of his encounter with God. You say, why did he get a reminder? Because I believe God did not want Jacob to ever forget what happened at Peniel in that moment, in that place. But what's interesting is the reminder God gave him was a limp. I mean, of all things, it's not what I would have asked for. Probably not what you would have asked for, but that's what God gave Jacob as a reminder. Take a look at what we read. The sun rose as Jacob left Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Here's the point, folks. After Jacob's wrestling match with God, he never walked the same again. And here's the thing, folks. When you and I truly meet God, we'll never walk the same again either. So listen to me. Here's where, this needs, where the rubber needs to meet the road on this, folks. So if we say we're a Christian and we don't walk in a different way, if our life hasn't changed, if it's no different, folks, then we need to ask ourselves, did I truly meet with God? Because it's impossible, impossible for us to meet God face to face and own up to who we really are and our life not change. It's impossible. But why a limp? I mean, of all things, why a limp? Well, let me give you what I believe are two reasons. The first one is because the limp ended Jacob's lifelong pattern of creating problems and running from them. It put an end to it. The second reason why is because the thigh muscles are the strongest muscles in our bodies. And so what we need to understand is God in that moment touched Jacob at his point of greatest strength to remind him every time he took a step that instead of depending on his own strength, he needed to depend on God's strength and God's power. Instead of looking to his own resources, his own cleverness, his own ability to work things out, he needed to depend on God. So here's the lesson. The lesson from the wrestling match, folks. God does his deepest work in your life and mine by dealing with our identity. Because, folks, here's the reason why. The way we see ourselves affects every other part of our life. In other words, if I see myself as, as, as a per, certain kind of person, a certain type of person, you know what happens? I begin to act in keeping with that self-perception. I talk to others. I interact with others based on that self-perception. So if God wants to give us a fresh start, he begins by changing the way we see ourselves. And only God can do that. Only God can do that through the power of the resurrection. Self-help books cannot do that. Sermons cannot do that. Sessions in therapy cannot do that, folks. Nothing but the power of God through the resurrection of Jesus can do that because only Jesus is truly the new identity specialist. Only Jesus. That's why Paul could write this. If anyone belongs to Christ, then he is made new. The old things have gone. Everything is made new. Paul's saying, get the message. He says it twice. It's new. Everything is new. So here's the takeaway from this morning's message, folks. We don't have to stay the same. God can give us a fresh start. And so let's seize it. Let's receive it.
Let's bow our heads. Folks, with our heads bowed, you don't have to close your eyes, but with all our heads bowed, I want to invite each of us to consider four very personal questions. And here's the first one. In what areas are you struggling with God? In other words, where do you know what God wants you to do? But you're ignoring it. I mean, you know it's right, you know it's moral, you know it's good, but you keep wrestling with God over it. You keep fighting with God over it. Can I encourage you to stop being afraid of letting God be in control of your life? Here's a second question. In what areas in your life right now do you feel like giving up? Folks, I absolutely believe in a group this size here in this room and online, I absolutely believe there are people here today who are ready to give up on a marriage, ready to give up on a child, ready to give up a career. But before you do that, can I encourage you to give it to God and then to ask for help? Folks, there are Christian counselors out there who can help you process not only the pain, but the decision. And so here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. If that's where you're at today, I want you to write on your Connect card in just a moment. Just write the word help on the back of it. And if you'll do that and drop it in the box at the end of the service or do it online, slip off and, and, and open that, that card up, then we'll help you connect with a counselor this week. Third question I want you to consider is, what do you need to admit about yourself? In other words, folks, and, and, and please hear my heart. I don't mean this ugly. I, I'm saying it myself as much as I'm saying it to you, but when are you going to face the facts about you? When are we going to face the truth about ourselves? When are you going to say, I'm a blank? And you fill in the blank. When are you going to come to that place in your life where you're willing to reveal the truth about yourself to God and at least one other trusted person? And again, folks, the reason that's so important is because we see it over and over again in the Bible that when we begin to reveal our feelings, it truly does begin the process of healing. God uses that to give us a fresh start. Here's my final question. Will you let God give you a new identity? Because beneath the failures, beneath the flaws, beneath the disappointments, God sees a prince in your life. He sees a princess in your life. He sees potential. And so he's saying to you today, through Jacob's story, saying to you, he's saying to me, you don't have to stay the same. And so if you've never done that, if you've never asked God for a fresh start, then I'll encourage you to do it right now. Just right now, say in your heart something like this. Just say, Jesus, I don't want to stay the same. I want to change. I want a fresh start. I want you as the leader of my life. And so I'm stepping across the line. I'm making a commitment. 
I'm going to give you just a second to say that to, to Jesus in your own words. It's not so important that you say what I said. It's, it's just important that you just say to him that I need this change. I want this change. I ask for this change. Now, with our heads still bowed, and if you're praying, keep on praying. With our heads still bowed, if you ask God for that fresh start today, then I'm going to ask you to let me know about it so that not only I and the staff can be praying for you, but so we can send you some materials that will help you better understand this fresh start that God's giving you. And you can let us know. You can let me know by either here in the auditorium, by just checking the box that says on the back of your Connect card that says, on my decision today is to begin a relationship with Jesus. Or you can do it, slip over on, on, in the Connect card online, and you can do the same thing. But let us know about your decision. Heavenly Father, thank you for recording the, the historical record of Jacob's wrestling match with you for it clearly lays out for us the steps that you take us through when you want to give us a fresh start. And so, Father, I just want to close today by praying for each and every one of those who have prayed and has asked you for a fresh start. I pray that you give them the reassurance that they have it. I pray you do that through your spirit who is now a part of their lives. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Jerry. I do hope that uh, you took that next step that Jerry was talking about this morning um, because we don't want you just to attend church. We want you to step into the fullness of new life that we celebrate every single Sunday. And so um, we'd love to share more of who Jesus is with you. And so um, take that opportunity to fill out the card and drop it in the box on your way out this morning. Um, also, we'll be at the welcome desk. I'll be there. Uh, Judy will be there. And uh, we would love to say hello to you. We have a free book for you if this is your first time here with us at Peckway Church um, that we would like to place in your hands. If you need a Bible, you could take the one in front of you. There's also some at the welcome desk as well. But uh, thank you so much for being here and worshiping with us again today. And it's uh, always a, a privilege, honor to do that. And so I, I hope to see you back again next week. Have a great rest of your day.